Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Evanish, CEO of Lighthouse, and this is the Creating High-Performing Teams podcast. We have an awesome guest today, Valentina Turner, who is a remote leadership expert. She is both a facilitator, um, helping companies to update and adjust their processes and practices to collaborate remotely, and she lives this every day as the head of product at Klaus, which is a company that is also working remotely. So, Valentina has done some awesome stuff on the Lighthouse blog with us before, helping us with advice we could share with all of you about mastering remote work, which obviously has become a bigger deal for everybody with COVID, making everyone suddenly be remote. That being said, being a good manager and leader in a remote environment is simply not just a matter of turning all of your in-person meetings into Zoom meetings. I think we've all probably learned over the last two years that doesn't actually work out so well. So as we enter year two or three of this journey into so many of us becoming remote and many companies now starting to have a mixed hybrid setup. I wanted to bring on someone on the show that's an expert in this to talk about how you can handle remote and hybrid situations, how you can master asynchronous communication and a lot more. So we're very excited to have you on the show today, Valentina. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Cool. So one of the biggest shifts I think in remote work, and I mentioned in the introduction, is this idea of this meeting could have been an email, has never been more true. No one wants to be on Zoom eight hours a day. And so the answer people often advocate for is asynchronous communication. But what does that actually mean? What does asynchronous communication actually entail? And how can someone tell whether this meeting should be an email is a time to say, hey, we shouldn't have that meeting or, or asynchronous communication is the right tool for the job? So textbook definition of asynchronous communication is I'm sending you a message and you get back to me whenever you have time. And then some companies interpret this as we need an answer within an hour and others say you can just answer, let's say, in the next 24 hours. Like some companies have really strict rules about it, but the idea is you don't need to be in the same space in be that physical or, or um, virtual to actually have a conversation and to um, exchange your viewpoints. Now, this whole idea of this meeting could have been an email, actually, it's a, it's a step further because if you think the meeting should have been an email, you should send an email afterwards because on your computer, you are basically not only competing with an email, you're competing with Instagram and uh, WhatsApp. You're competing with everything because it's all on the same computer. Like at least mm -hmm. when you had people in a meeting room, they had to pretend to be like there, but now they can put off video. And if it's a bigger meeting, you don't know whether they're actually still there. Right. So the, if you feel like you're losing people in the meeting, then you need to actually stop and say, okay, what are we doing here? And there are different different topics that you can look at. Is the topic actually relevant and we need to discuss this now? Or do mm -hmm. I want to set up a Google Doc and everybody can just put in their comments when they have a quiet time and they're really focused? Does everybody here needs to be in the meeting? Because the problem with a meeting is only the people who are in the meeting can speak up and only the people who actually enjoy speaking up in meetings are going to speak up. So you lose the input from people who are on vacation or who for whatever schedule shenanigans can't be there. And you lose mm -hmm. the voice of the people who are not super comfortable speaking up when there's 13 other people on the call. <laughs> Yeah, I think that last one is a big one. It's interesting how remote flips some of that, where introverts 
certainly have a much harder time, I think, participating live and especially brainstorming style meetings or ones mm -hmm. where it's harder to prepare in advance and, and certainly would still probably have the same challenges if you're all, all on a Zoom together in, in the mm -hmm. moment and trying to like raise your hand. Like I know once a Zoom gets to a certain size, I don't know, for me, that line feels like it's probably somewhere around seven or eight people. It's just like impossible yeah, to like, figure out how can I even raise my hand to get to say anything unless you have yeah. like someone who's extremely diligent about like calling on people. It's very mm -hmm. easy for one or two people to absolutely dominate, talk over people, or even not even mean to, but like you never feel mm -hmm. like you had a pause long enough for you get, to get to speak up. Yeah. And I think the problem here is actually the technology because it's too mm -hmm. easy to simply call a Zoom call, which yeah. means because if you had to call a meeting and reserve the meeting room and make everybody move within, you put like more care into preparing the meeting. If you have a meeting in person, there's usually an agenda involved. There are mm -hmm. so many meetings now on Zoom. Let's just have a quick Zoom call. And there is no yeah. structure. There's no agenda to it. Nobody really knows who's in charge. Nobody really knows what is actually what is being discussed. And this mm -hmm. um, makes the Zoom fatigue even worse because you feel like you're swimming without a clear guideline in the sea of information and don't know what to do with all of this. And you can actually mitigate that with structure. Like one thing is prepare the meeting. Don't just call a meeting, but prepare the meeting and send the agenda in advance, especially if they are introverts on the team. Because yeah. if they know the topic and know the questions that have been asked, answered, then you can actually do that. And then if there's more than eight people, use breakout rooms. Like you don't, ev not every discussion needs to be had between 15 people. You can perfectly yeah. well say, okay, we're just going to split up for 10 minutes in groups of four, and then we'll come back and see what came up in these groups. Yeah, those are two very good, good pieces of advice. Uh, the two things I want to highlight there is one, have an agenda, which I think, frankly, in person or remote, you should mm -hmm. have that. It, too many yeah. companies, too many teams don't have it. And then number two is absolutely, if you have a really big group, I think, first of all, you should ask yourself if you want everyone in the meeting, because mm. it's meetings are expensive. If you look yep. at the value per hour of all your employees, especially for those of you listening who, who have lots of knowledge workers on your team, mm. it's very expensive to have 15 people in a meeting if they don't actually need to, especially when it's the case of actually like a five minute download or debrief with them afterwards, or them being CC'd on the email of the recap of what happened gets them almost everything they need out of the meeting. Having all 15 people in the meeting is a lot. So if you are going to have that, you want to make it very useful and make sure you get their input, which means then your suggestion of breakout rooms, which is actually in Zoom much easier than in, in, in like physical practice. It'd be much yep. harder to be in a giant conference room at work and be like, actually, let's go take over two other conference rooms. But Zoom can obviously infinitely divide. Hmm. And so that's actually a great particular suggestion. That and you is... can make the two ways. Like you can make it at mm -hmm. random and just mix them as Zoom because Zoom has this like random allocation. Or you can actually, yeah. especially if you have, you bring two like different departments or different parts of the company together, you can yeah. think already before the meetings, who do I want to put in touch with each other? And be like, okay, I want one marketing person and one developer on in each of these groups. And maybe also like you can actually mix and make sure that and nobody really, because it's no, nobody feels like they're put into a room with somebody they don't want to be in a room with because it's not a room, like it's just a breakout room. So you can actually put people together strategically to also, sometimes you just know this person and this other person have very uh, different views. Let's then put them in a breakout room and see what happens then because they are going to communicate a lot like very different if there is no audience. So you can actually use mm -hmm. a meeting to bring people closer together 
and then in the meeting being more productive by putting them into a safe space where it's just a two or three instead of 17 or whatever people, because then everybody's just watching how the show goes down. Oh, I love that. That is one of those things where it's like, there's all these little clever things that I think really great leaders do. And, and clearly you, you've thought that way. I think as a product leader, I'm sure you understand that idea of cross-functional collaboration. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where... <laughs> so I was in product before I started Lighthouse as well. And so I totally appreciate that. But I think that's one of those little subtle things where it's, if you zoom out far enough, uh, like an average or poor manager can look very similar to a great manager, hmm. but it's all these little things like, oh, I'm going to have a really good agenda. How long does it take you to make an agenda? I know for me at this point, I can make a good agenda for a meeting in five, maybe 10 minutes. And so once you get good at that, it's like those little five and 10 minute things like thinking, oh, I'm not just going to hit a random breakout room. Let me think about who I want to make sure I pair together yeah. and spending a couple more minutes here and there. Those little things actually compound and add up. Uh, mm -hmm. together when you are thoughtful like that. And then in the end, five minutes before you finish the meeting, do like an official, this is what we are taking away from the meeting. Mm -hmm. So that somebody who spaced out, and you'll always have people who space <laughs> out during, yeah. during the meeting, actually knows what the result of the meeting is. And then send this out as in like, we talked about this and this, especially if there were decisions being made. And we decided this and this, and maybe even put it into a public place, like not only in mm -hmm. an email where you basically silo it to the people who are on the email yeah. thread, so that people who maybe didn't make it to the, the meeting can just read it and be like, oh yeah. That's fine. Or, oh, no, the, yeah, like you totally forgot about this other thing and actually, actually have an option to speak up uh, yeah. afterwards. And that's a way how you can like add asynchronicity to your meetings. Because yep. the thing with asynchronicity is there is a lot of companies, like a lot of experts who talk about asynchronous communication and remote come from companies that have been remote forever, which means they have yes. a lot of experience. But these <laughs> companies also have a certain bias towards people who love to write and hate to be on calls. That's why yeah. they are remote and that's why they are synchronous because the founder doesn't like calls or they were from the very beginning, one in Sweden and the other one in, in Canada or whatever, and they didn't have another cha chance. But so these experts are biased. And now we put all the people who actually loved being in, in the office and tell them, oh, you should not have any meetings anymore. And that doesn't work either. So especially if you have a hybrid team, you need to find a balance where the people who actually think in writing have the option to actually write down their thoughts and actually discuss their thoughts maybe in writing, but where you don't leave the experts feeling out of the loop because they actually think through talking through their points. Because mm -hmm. some people actually develop their ideas as they are, I call it rubber ducking, with someone yes. else. So you need to give them this opportunity as well. Oh, absolutely. That's a very good point. And it, like, we see it every year with Lighthouse. We've been remote and then we were in person and we were, we were remote again. And it's funny to see how different people thrived in different scenarios. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, fortunately, I've learned to be a chameleon because of being a product person. But it's I know the designer on our team does some of his best work when he and I just are on a call and he has like sketch open and we try stuff together. Mm -hmm. And like the feedback I give him there, I know he likes much better than the feedback I give him asynchronously yeah. because he can ask me follow up questions. Like, Wait, what did you, sorry, you said you liked that and you didn't like that. Wait, what part did you actually, what did you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And we can dig into it and he'll literally sometimes make like hot fixes and changes there. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's other people on the team that it's some of the marketers on our team and stuff. They very much prefer, let's just, Hey, they write for a living. So let's, yeah. let's just write for our communication as well. And so, yeah, you, you do notice, uh, that different people respond differently. And I think like realizing that it's, we're not trading 
all of our screwdrivers for hammers. Mm -hmm. We need to recognize when to use each of them and when actually using both is actually maybe better than any one individually. Mm -hmm. And I think that also what makes a good leader, like to understand whom of your t in your team needs what. And one example there is... Um, you need one-on-ones and that's one of the things in remote work that I'm, that's a hill I'm going to die on. You need to yeah. like weekly or at least bi-weekly one-on-ones. You need to talk to your people because you don't see what's going in their lives by like these random interactions in the office. So you have to put a little bit of structure into it. And one yep. thing is doing like a asynchronous check-ins on Slack or Teams or whatever, where people just put in what they do in the day to day. But like once a week, get together, even if it's half an hour, And yep. just talk about not only about what's going on in work, but also what is going on in their lives because yes. they're working from home. If their kids <laughs> don't, can't go to school because the, the Omicron is all around, then this will impact their work, whether you want that or not. So you need to know yes. that. And then if somebody really wants to like just talk, then you talk. But if somebody uh, opens up a lot more in a chat one-in-one, You can absolutely mix it up and from time to time do one-in-ones that are synchronous, but you're mm -hmm. writing on a Google Doc or you're discussing something on a Google Doc. Yeah. Like you don't need, there is no one size fits all and has to work for everyone. And you can experiment and it's much easier to experiment in a remote environment than in an in-office environment. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a really good point, especially the more you as a leader can adapt a little bit to your team and recognize that there are different styles, the better. I know, I'm not sure, are you familiar with the idea some people kicked around maybe about a year or two ago about manager readmes? No. Okay, so the way manager readmes work is that the idea was, hey, what if I wrote up a guide about like, How oh, I like a user, a like a man user manual about how yeah, you work. exactly. And so uh, it, was okay, yeah. it was a very polarizing debate. I personally, I actually sit on the fence on it. To some extent, I appreciate the idea of telling people that because I know there's things I repeat to every person I've ever managed. Mm -hmm. There are like a handful of concepts and values I have that are like, hey, I need you to stick to these. If you, these are my third rails. Like one of them is manage my expectations. It's like, if something goes wrong personally and professionally, all you need to do is tell me and we'll figure it out together. Yeah. The only time you're truly in trouble is if you hide from me and don't say anything and I have to chase you down. That's the only time you'll get in trouble with me. And the first thing I'm gonna tell you is, hey, if you just manage my expectations, we mm -hmm. would have done X and Y sooner. But I also understand from the other side, like you're talking about one of the challenges I think of ReadMe and why I know some people, especially on Twitter, are very passionate about them being the wrong way to lead is that it can create that one size fits all management where it's like, this works best for me. So I only hire and want to work with people who do it exactly my way. Mm -hmm. You definitely don't want to be that way. You want to recognize where your team's at and, and try and at least meet them halfway on some stuff. Like mm -hmm. I understand that sometimes people may make asks that are a little further than you can really accommodate, but you should look for some things where you can meet them. Like for instance, I know for the introverts on my team, I make absolutely sure they get the agenda ahead of time. That way mm -hmm. they know what I want to talk about. They have a chance to think about it and they can prepare. And I know that there are other people that are totally fine with us kind of going a little more winging it and just running through what's going on. Adapting to people, I think is an important thing to call out. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to highlight that fact that you can tell your team some guardrails, but you should also try and adapt to your team. Yeah, actually like, I work because I, I work in a very international team. Like uh, Klaus is a company from Estonia. So like we have a lot of Estonians in the company, but we also mm -hmm. have people from Britain, from Portugal. Mm -hmm. I live in Spain, but I am German. So yeah. um, I work a lot with the culture map by Erin Meyer. And she actually has a tool online where you can on the eight different, like she has eight different categories where you can slot yourself in and then they are always like extra like extrovert and introvert like you have like a sliding scale and the mm -hmm. interesting thing about this tool is that 
when I worked at Automatic, which is a very American-infused company, I mm-hmm. was always being told that I was very direct and very bold. And now yeah. I work with like people from the Netherlands, and they tell me I'm very soft-spoken and very indirect. <laughs> and it's, it's not that I changed. It's just because it depends how you compare to the other person. So I think the problem yeah. with the README files is a little bit that... You show your position, but you don't really have the comparison from where the other person is looking at you. So it yeah. might actually be a better idea to like create a README file and discuss it with the other person and then ask questions. Like, okay, you say that you want direct feedback. What does direct feedback <laughs> actually mean for you? Yeah, absolutely. And where do you want it? And how do you want it? And are there mm-hmm. like... Do you want maybe direct feedback, but you want it written because you won't, don't want me to tell it to you. I'll be staring at my face as I'm criticizing you. These yeah, are yeah. like little things that often get lost in these conversations, but they're very important because it's not only like, how am I, but how am I when I interact with you? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I'll make sure for people listening, I'll get a link from Valentina about the culture map. So you can mm-hmm. check that out uh, in the show notes. Going back to asynchronous communication. So like you said, I think it's a lot easier if you're like remote first and you've always been doing this stuff. I think it almost naturally happens both from the perspective of you start doing it from day one. So it's mm. ingrained in the culture as well as you probably hire people who are predisposed. If I recall correctly, Automatic has had a practice of like really making their hiring process, make sure you're comfortable with mm-hmm. writing a lot and like yes. how you interact with the team and the interview process is actually very written driven. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there are no calls until you're hired. Exactly. And so knowing that that's one way you can end up embracing remote. But for companies making the transition, I think that's the larger audience of the world of managers who may be struggling mm-hmm. with this. So Let's say we've got a manager here who's listening to the podcast and their company's been remote because of COVID. They're they're looking like they're going to at least stay partially remote for the foreseeable future and they're dying in Zoom meetings. So (laughs) how would a manager like that maybe start to implement some asynchronous communication? What should they be doing foundationally to start to transition maybe some of those meetings away or some of the things they're doing haphazardly to embrace asynchronous communication in a company where they're used to hey, we were always in the office together and we're used to that world. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, one thing is for the people who really enjoy, because there are people who really enjoy being like on a video call the entire day, is yeah. to offer this as an option and not as a mm-hmm. mandatory thing for the team. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of different programs, like you don't need to use Zoom for that, where you, people can like walk in and out of like a coffee room or something and just yep. work together and have this feeling that somebody else is working with them. But in general, yep. and I recommend that for managers, but I actually recommend that for anyone who has more than three week, meetings per, per, per week is do every three months, do a meeting audit and mm-hmm. basically delete well, you probably can't physically delete them, but take a completely um, free agenda. And for every single meeting, think about is this meeting, first, is this meeting actually necessary? Mm-hmm. And for that, you can look in past meeting notes. If there are no past meeting notes, try to remember what you talked about the last three times. If you can't remember that, why the heck are you having that meeting? Yeah. Like it obviously isn't adding any value. The only, the only exception there is one in ones. Like the one in ones should go into your agenda. <laughs> yes or yes. Because yeah, those, yeah. and then probably a team meeting and a one in one with, with your own mayor, but everything else, 
there are different kinds of meetings. There are meetings where you make a decision. Those need an agenda. Those need like clear information where people can look before. Then, and then there are meetings that are brainstorm. That, and there's a huge debate whether you can uh, brainstorming is actually better asynchronous than synchronous, but there mm -hmm. you can lose stuff like Miro or, or to, to like structure that. And then there are mm -hmm. meetings where people just talk to define that they're going to have a next meeting. And those meetings, you want to get them, them out of your agenda, uh, out of your, your diary. And then the more yeah. difficult thing is actually how you need to learn to decline meetings because the problem mm -hmm. is people send out meeting invites when they're stuck. Because it's much easier to quickly uh, ask for a meeting than to formulate a clear question and send out that question. So you just, you just uh, invite three people to a meeting. And then these three people say yes. Why? Like just because Google made the button for yes bigger than the button for no? It's yeah. an invitation. It's not a citation. This is not like you're not being cited for a judge or something. Like it's an mm -hmm. invitation and you can decline invitations. And starting to actually decline invitations yourself and then maybe send an email and say, hey, I declined this invitation because I already have six meetings that day and I know that I won't be able to add any value for this. Can you give me a summary so I can tell you my opinion ahead of time and then you can take yeah. this like into consideration or and also telling other people I'm inviting you for this meeting. But if you want, you can send me your opinion in an email and you don't need to come to that meeting. Mm -hmm. Which also helps you to figure out who in your team actually enjoys the meetings and who in your team prefers not to have them. And then to force that, we have two meeting-free days at Klaus declared. Like Wednesdays and Friday yes. are meeting-free days. That doesn't mean that no one has meeting on that days, but we don't do group meetings on that day. So if you want to do a one-on-one -on, -one on that day, that's totally fine. But there are lots of people who have both days completely blocked in their agenda for meeting, and that's fine. because it's com And that means if you want to do more meetings... Like there is no space in the agenda. And if there's no space left in the agenda, people actually start think about which meetings do I not need? And that's what you yeah. want. You want to get away from this automatic, I'll just call a meeting situation, but actually have people think about whether they want to call a meeting. Yeah, it forces, it's a forcing function of creating mm -hmm. a budget, essentially. You yeah, know, you can only have 60% of your week consumed by meetings. Exactly. I know. I have a number of friends who are in that <clears throat> executive to middle management layer, and they absolutely run into this challenge of like, I'm in meetings eight hours a day every day, and it's awful, mm -hmm. and my brain is just over overloaded with with crap. And and so having those no meeting days is equally as effective for like your engineer who just wants a, a pure day of unadulterated focus and getting yeah. in the zone as it is actually for managers where I think one of the taxes that managers don't think about is when you're in these meetings all day, like you don't get other things done. And those mm -hmm. other things are often long-term thinking, strategic decision-making and research, looking beyond, mm -hmm. looking beyond this, this week to future weeks, and maybe even doing some of this curation of being like, actually, I have 30 minutes free to look at my calendar for the rest of the month and see what meetings I can get rid of. Mm-hmm. And it's something that needs to start from above. If, yes. you're in a, if, if you're a manager or an executive, it is your duty to start this movement. Absolutely. Yeah. Leadership by example is huge here because certainly if you show it's safe to, to decline, decline a meeting, a meeting. It, oh. it means the rest of the team can. And then if you also show, hey, I'm not just declining and ignoring you. I'm declining and asking for more info so that I can add a sentence or two of input. Mm -hmm. I have found, especially with like engineers who just pr prefer to focus, 
I'll often get, hey, I'm going to sit down with our designer. Do you want to join this meeting? And they'll often say, no, but please keep in mind this and this constraint. Mm -hmm. And if you come out of the meeting with technical questions that you think affect your design decisions, either A, we'll have a quick call just to talk about those, or B, present me the two options and we'll talk about which is better based on that. Mm -hmm. And like that two sentence constraint just saved them both 30 to 60 minutes sitting in the meeting Mm -hmm. and all the interruption of their daily flow because we're all, you know, Lighthouse is global. We can't just be like, oh, we're only gonna have meetings in the morning because my morning is someone else's afternoon (laughs) and so on. Who's (laughs) morning? Exactly. So we've talked a bunch about the positives here and like how to transition to it, but what are some of the pitfalls and problems of asynchronous communication? One of the biggest pitfalls I think is that people are not used to writing stuff down. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. are scared of writing things down because if you're in a meeting and we are talking, I can see on your face whether I'm hitting the mark or not. (laughs) And if you look very confused or if you're my manager and you start to look like angry, like I can't mitigate it as I'm wiggling my way through the meeting. And if you're writing, you don't have that immediate feedback. So you really need a culture of psychological safety for people to write down opinions. It's very very easy for people to write down one plus one is two. Mm -hmm. But do you prefer green or blue is already like a more more difficult question because there's no right answer. And so by actually modeling what is writing and by also asking easy questions as you transition to a more written focus and giving clear structures. Like if you want somebody to write up a summary of a meeting, give them a cheat sheet on how a summary should look like. Because if you tell somebody, can somebody here do meeting notes? The amount of people who don't know how meeting notes work, and then you get like this five pages of verbal written down basically as if you had a stenographer on the meeting. And this requires, again, from the company, from the manager side, a certain type of, you can learn how to write well. Like this is Mm -hmm. not rocket science. But you need to learn it. You were not born with this. And if you come from a very oral culture, company culture um, side, then it's normal Mm -hmm. that you don't know this. And it's fine. But you can learn this. And then like actually giving people the opportunity to try it, to fail, to learn. What I really is having people doing meeting notes in a Google Doc. And then Mm -hmm. I go through the Google Doc and basically cross out half of it and then (laughs) comment why I crossed these things out. So I don't only correct what I see, but I actually explain my thought process. And then you do like five, four, six times and then people Mm -hmm. get used to, oh, I really don't have to write down everything. And it's fine if Mm -hmm. I summarize something and it's okay if this is not entirely clear. Because I'm, the idea is not that you judge somebody for what they are writing, but actually writing is just one way to express what's going on in your brain. And that's valid Correct. because something is going on in your brain, we'd hope. So like, <laughs> starting <laughs> yes. this conversation is, is fine. And then always telling people, look, if we're discussing on a Google Doc or in Confluence or where, whatever, until we finalize this document and we are all happy. This is work in progress. It's fine. Like, mm-hmm. and you can change your mind. And actually it's good if you change your mind because it's ne- it, ne- it means you have taken new arguments into your thought process. There's nothing worse than somebody who never ever changes their opinion because it means they are basically absolutely rigid and don't learn. Absolutely. I, and I think one of the most important things to call out there is just the fact that like, hey managers, one of your jobs is to be a coach. 
and coaches mm-hmm. give feedback and, and they give praise and positive reinforcement. And so you may not think that meeting notes is an area you should be spending time on, but it's actually a high leverage area for you to invest your time. Because if everyone on your team knows how to take good notes and there, there may be some flexibility, but if there's some level of standardization, it makes it easy for the whole team to start to develop a shared mm-hmm. culture and language on how these go. So mm-hmm. it's actually a very high leverage thing for you to do, to invest in teaching your team how to do these things and invest time in showing them what makes good notes and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's a transferable skill because if yes. you can have a one hour meeting and synthesize this in two paragraphs, <laughs> you can then have a three hour interview with a customer yeah. and get out, down, out like the three grains of wisdom that you need for the product organization. Like this, mm-hmm. like the, the whole idea of, oh, we don't need meeting notes, that meeting notes, this is too much writing. Yeah, but it, it's, it's a great way to practice skills. And then Absolutely. at some point you don't need it for, because it is true. You don't need meeting notes for every single meeting, but it's a great way to practice taking good notes and actually helping people to transfer what they hear into something that is written down. Yeah. Do you have any favorite resources? Maybe we can link to in the show notes. There is a uh, book, which is called on writing well, which okay, is like from nice. the 50s or 60s or like, like it's, or maybe not that old, but yeah, it's I'm quite, familiar with the book. We'll yeah, put a link to it's it. It's old, but it, it's really good. And I, I think I have another two or three books that I, I, I can send the links to you afterwards. But the on writing was the one that I constantly recommend because it's so, it's a very quick read. Like ignore that he completely like it is from the area era it is from. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But like the when it comes to how to write the advice itself. Yeah, totally. That's always one of the funny things. Like it's amazing how many ti- how many timeless books are out there. Actually, my favorite copywriting book was written in like 1945 and what's hilarious is if you read it through the lens of what he talks about for a full page magazine ad boy it's like exactly like a landing page on the internet absolutely and as soon like i got halfway through the book and started thinking that way and i started thinking about all the web pages that i knew that were relatively well designed and i was like it's all the same and just so i i I love those kinds of books that like uh, i think it's the sim taleb calls them they're lindy they're more than 20 years old but the advice is timeless so that's great Mm -hmm. we'll make sure to include some links to that kind of stuff because certainly we want to give you a good place to start because certainly if you're going to coach your team on how to get better at these we want to make sure you start with a good foundation and maybe have some things you can point your team to as well so um thinking about some of these pitfalls of asynchronous communication so giving them feedback is one way to make sure and making sure you have notes in general and they're good notes are one way to mm. mitigate it. Are there any other things that the manager should look out for that are pitfalls for asynchronous communication and in particular how to then avoid those? Check who's participating and who's not participating. Okay. And okay. that's then something that you can look at in one in ones. And I don't mean that everybody mm-hmm. needs to participate at the same level, but if there are people whose voice you never hear or read, then it's, I think it's worth digging into why is that or what is actually happening there. And maybe they are just, mm-hmm. they, they need like a smaller group to actually participate or maybe something is wrong and they're completely disconnected from what they are doing, which can also yeah. happen, which mm-hmm. can happen because simply they feel lost or because they have stuff going on in their private life that hopefully you are aware because you have one-on-ones with them. But there is an interesting, you can actually 
analyze who participates how, for example, in your Slack and create like, it looks a little bit like a spider web and, and figure out who's communicating with whom and who's maybe on the edge and who's like very important, etc. Dr. Katerina Bolle-Carbonet, I can also, like yes. she, her company does this for a living. Basically, they help you analyze the communication patterns within your company. And it's very interesting because if you understand the communication pattern in your company, you can also, you see are there risks like is there for example one or two people if they leave then you don't have a company anymore because everything mm -hmm. goes through them or are there people that never talk to anyone and you're like oh they might be on churn risk because they're clearly yep. not really invested in what they're doing anymore so you can look a lot of these uh, things up through the communication that's happening and uh you can do this with data analysis or you can just check like who is doing Who's never writing anything personal in their check-ins or who is never right. writing their check-ins on that you have the asynchronous check-ins that you have, or who is only ever talking on one topic and seems not to be at all aware that this other topic is also going on. So like having a little bit of pulse on what is going on, it doesn't mean you have to read everything, which after a certain size at a company is completely not viable, but getting an idea, at least for the people that report to you, how engaged they are. And that doesn't like engagement is this, this fuzzy thing where I, because I don't think your company needs to be your family or your best friend either. In the end, like it's right. a job that you do because you want to pay your rent, but there's still, <laughs> yeah. you still want everybody to like be comfortable and to be participatory, not 12 yeah. hours a day, but definitely whatever they need to get their job done. Yeah. So we talked about how you may have a group meeting and you realize that some of the people on the team would actually participate better asynchronously, whether it be sharing a couple of thoughts before the meeting or shortly thereafter. So that's a great way to take an in-person meeting and make it asynchronous or mm -hmm. remote friendly. But what about going the other direction? You talk about like maybe some extroverts and people who like to work things out live. What can mm -hmm. you do for them if essentially that meeting either never happened or it's become asynchronous and you're finding that person isn't participating in a written format? What, what has worked very well with me is using Loom videos. Oh, nice. Because, and we actually started this because somebody wanted to like sh do a screen share with a product idea, but it was impossible to get because of time zone difference. Like we didn't find mm -hmm. the way to actually be on the same call. So they totally. made a video for me. And then mm -hmm. the good thing with Loom is that you can actually comment on the timestamp which makes it very oh, yeah. easy to then have a, the other person talks and then you write your thoughts as you're watching yeah. the video and they can, and mm. it's, it creates this very interesting, very hybrid way of conversation. And then they would send me video after video and I would send them back like comments on the video. So it was like one person was able to talk and the other was because I work better in, in, in writing and the other person was able to write back. So that worked pretty well. And that's the thing where you can, in remote, you can experiment so much because there are so many tools by now out there that you mm -hmm. don't necessarily need to use as they are described. Loom, the idea was that you watch videos, but not that you have like a conversation via Loom and written. And because Loom on the free account has like a four or five minute break, like you can do five yeah. minutes and that's it. People, ex especially people who love to take the long winding road when they're explaining an idea, they really have to like get a little bit more succinct. So you it's only a have good, to watch it's a five good minutes. Constraint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. So, and so the other thing is also you can start with a Google Doc 
and then have the initial discussion there and then move it to a meeting and kind of shorten the meeting because everybody's on the same page. I think Amazon does it that they like you have a document and then at the beginning yeah. of the meeting, everybody reads the document and only then Correct. you start discussing. Yeah, I think one of the biggest, I think, advocates of these kind of like meetings is Amazon and, and people like that, where it's mm -hmm. basically like the meeting is there to make a decision. And so if you're making the decision, you should have all the evidence and information prepared ahead of time. And then mm -hmm. that way, all you're doing is debating the decision you're making, because that is something where often being real time with is actually important because it's like, hey, a bunch of people are going to have different tasks and responsibilities based on the decision. You, it's much harder to do that asynchronously. And I guess you mm -hmm. could set a deadline. Hey, everybody have it by midnight GMT. And then we'll make a decision the next morning. Everyone will have assignments in their inbox or something. But like, there's certainly like that decision-making is a particularly effective and helpful way to, uh, to make decisions while a lot of this other stuff, like ideating and considering mm -hmm. like trade-offs and things like that could certainly be asynchronous. So far we've talked a lot about asynchronous communication. But what about when you start to be in a hybrid environment? I've always personally felt having worked in person, fully remote and hybrid, I've done all of them at a bunch of different size companies. Hybrid's the worst of both worlds in my yeah. experience. And yet most companies are embracing that because some people like cannot wait to get back in the office. They love being around their team members, having the routine of, I go in the office, this is where I do work, I'm mm -hmm. focused. And then when I leave the office, I'm home with my kids and I do my thing. There are a lot of reasons why people love coming to the office, but it's not, I don't know any companies where everybody came back mm -hmm. that is like more than like 10 employees. So for people heading into that hybrid environment, what should they be looking out for? And how does maybe some of the advice we've talked about change? Mm -hmm. So the big question is why does the office exist for your company? Mm -hmm. And it's totally fine to say we have an office because we want that the people who are very social don't have to go to a coffee shop, but actually can go to an office and yeah. like we provide whatever coffee shops provide um, mm -hmm. for them in the office. Or we understand that people don't want to work at home because not everybody has a dedicated room where they can hide from their kids. Or... <laughs> Yeah. Maybe they have a flatmate who's also in sales. And if you have two people having sales calls in the living room, like you're going to go crazy pretty quickly. So like yes. offering, if the office is there so that people who need uh, somewhere to work, but then the perk of the office is actually having a place to work or to meet other people. It's not the, pivot, the, the pivotal place where processes happen. And I think mm -hmm. that's what currently a lot of companies are still struggling with. If you have a hybrid company, your processes and your workflows need to be as if you were remote. So basically the office needs to be like a second screen. Mm -hmm. When you have one, it's great because it makes your life like a little bit more comfortable. But if mm -hmm. suddenly you have to move your computer somewhere else and you only have one screen, it doesn't mean that you stop working or that your work is Correct. worse. And so for Asset Klaus, for example, because we have an office in Tallinn and some people go to the office, be it because they are hiding from their cats or, or whatever reason. If we have meetings, everybody dials in on their computer with their headphones. Like we don't have mm -hmm. three people in the meeting room and then the others yeah. on this screen. And like this type of hybrid where you have some people in person 
and then other people are lost on the screen because on the, the people on the screen they get they don't hear like the side conversations that happen in the room right. they can't really say hey people can you please listen to me because they are with like 16 others on the screen like it it simply yeah. doesn't work or rather it puts people on a very unequal playing field. And in this Correct. case, it's actually visually even an unequal playing field. So just yeah. make sure that pretend you're remote. And then if some people mm -hmm. sit in the office while you pretend you're remote, that's fine. And then when you have to shut down the office yet again, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't disrupt yeah. your flow. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I've worked at companies where they'll have this big, long, like conference room table, like you think oh, like a boardroom. And then they have a camera and like a big screen TV and the camera looks at everyone. And so what's funny is if you have a bunch of people on Zoom and a bunch of people in the room, it was always really awkward because because it's like those side conversations and stuff. It'd be very hard to switch from people in the conference room talking to the people on remote talking. Yeah. And so that was weird. And then on the other hand, if you were the only person remote, it was also weird because then you're like on a 40, 40 inch TV, you're enormous. And so yeah, like, yeah. there's this other flip where like you dominate the room and it's really awkward because you're like looking up at this person and they look enormous. And it, it, I, I've been on both sides. I've intimidated people unintentionally when I was the yeah, person yeah. on the big screen. And then I was in the room and that's when I realized, oh man, it's weird when it's just one person on that gigantic screen. Interestingly enough, these conference yeah. rooms are optimized for the people in the room. Correct. Correct. They absolutely are. They are never optimized for the poor person who's stuck on the screen because the people who create and design these rooms, they are never on the screen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I do know there is this one tool of this little app called, or it's a little piece of hardware. It's a called a meeting. I remember they came out a few years ago and they were trying to solve this. So they put it in the center of the conference room table and then it had a whole bunch of cameras around mm the top of the device. So we'd literally try and chop up everybody in the conference room to have each person individually on a camera. And so it solved part of the problem, but I don't think, I, I think it still probably struggled with the whole, like whose turn is it to talk and stuff, because there's mm -hmm. so many subtle things I think that come, come across in person that like, you just know when someone want, wants to say something. And unless you're yeah. like really learning body language, like one of my favorite tips is if someone has their, their fingers or their hand touching their mouth. That usually means they have something to say because they're literally mm. physically holding back saying yeah, something yeah, yeah. while like someone else is talking. That's probably your best thing to look for remotely. But one, a lot of people don't know how to look for that. So hopefully you pick up that tip today. But two, there's a lot of other more subtle cues where people don't always necessarily put their hand to their mouth where they still have something to say that's just 10 times easier to pick up in the, uh, in the conference room than it is in remote. And when you have that hybrid, mm -hmm. it's just so easy to get going in a circle with all the in-person people and the remote people never really get that pause they were looking for to raise their hand. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So that, that, that's one, I think it was the first meeting that I had at Klaus was like this and then yeah. we never did this again. So. <laughs> nice. So what did you tell them? Hey, can we get everybody on individual cameras or, or what did you do? How, actually oh, yeah, that's yeah. a perfect no, I, example. I, How did that, how did I, it go I, I to you? How that meeting, it was awkward. And, and now like for all the managers out there who are in a similar spot, like I'd love, let's be a bird on your shoulder. Like how did it go to actually try and get them to like recognize the problem and change how they were doing things? Actually, like at that point, th that was the first time that it actually happened to me. So I was yeah. on the screen and everybody else was in the room and yeah. I came on the screen and I was like, what are you doing in this room? And they were like, we're having a meeting. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not having a meeting with the room. Yeah. So like I, the, 
why don't you all go to your and actually i don't remember if we split up the meeting and everybody went back to the computer or if we then the second meeting did on the computer and that's the mm -hmm. second get invest into good headphones and microphones mm -hmm. like people because the thing is with microphones whether your headphones are good in terms of yeah. you hearing the other person But very few people actually record themselves to hear the usually atrocious quality <laughs> of their mics. Because most yeah. of those gaming mics, they were not made for you to sound clear and crisp as you're having a, a sensitive conversation. Like yeah, they were yeah, made yeah. so that you can scream while you're killing like some monster on screen. <laughs> so yeah. like they pick up everything and it's not a good experience for the other person on the other side. And what is very often underappreciated, if you have a conversation with somebody whose sound is really bad, it puts you on edge. Like it mm -hmm. raises a little bit the stress level in the room. And that's fine for your first meeting, maybe even for yeah. the second meeting. But for the eighth meeting of the day, you <laughs> want to kill that other person. Yeah. So like Absolutely. good audio and like the one that I'm currently using, it's like $60. Like you don't have to invest like 400 euros for each of your workers. But make Correct. sure that they have a good headphone And that they, if they are not sure, record yourself with those earbuds that you think are so cool. And then <laughs> think if you would like to listen to yourself for eight hours with that audio quality. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe a quick loom video when you're explaining to someone is a good time to get exactly. you sound like. That's a great point. And I think one of the cool things I've heard a lot of startups, especially do as perks, is they're giving people budgets to really mm -hmm. make remote work work for them. So I'm curious, we've talked about headphones and microphones. Is there anything else you think is uh, an important kind of starter kit for anybody who is uh, either partially remote or fully remote if they have a little bit of budget from their company or they're willing to invest in themselves? So if you depends a little bit on the, if you have a really big budget, get a really okay. fancy uh, chair. Okay. Like if you don't have a big budget, get a yoga ball. Okay. Which is, I don't know, 17, 20 dollars or something and you get it at your local sports store sure. so that you can actually shift you probably don't want to sit on that thing the entire day but like from time to yeah. time for half an hour or that that makes a real difference and mm -hmm. if you can get a standing desk like something where you can actually sometimes stand and sometimes sit like the thing is you don't want to be static on a kitchen chair for eight hours a day because yeah. I know we are all still young and fit, but this will change <laughs> and your back yeah. will not thank you if you have spent like yeah. 10 years of your life on a kitchen stair chair. For I have, a, I have an Ikea, how you call this in English, bookshelf. Mm -hmm. And I simply have the screen in the bookshelf and then I like nice. put a longer thing and so I can stand there. So it's, it was way cheaper than a standing desk because basically yeah. the screen is also our TV whenever, when I'm not working. Oh, so there nice. I have a standing desk with, with, with an <laughs> Ikea shelf. And then I have a yoga ball for when mm -hmm. I don't want to stand. So I basically move totally. back and forth between a normal chair, the yoga ball and standing. And like having this variety actually is, is really helpful. And the yoga ball is really good for your core strength. So. Absolutely. I get that. Because you're like constantly going. moving. Uh -uh. Yeah. If you can't afford the treadmill desk, the yoga ball is a good compromise. Yeah, exactly. Treadmill desk. Like for me, the problem <laughs> is not that much the budget, but the space. Oh yeah, absolutely. That would be, I mean, I actually it is don't about, know anyone I, who I actually has I would need a bigger one. house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I don't. I actually don't know anyone who has a treadmill desk, but I've seen so many ads for it. I assume somebody's done it. I just can't imagine actually walking and typing. I would just wouldn't be able to do it. But that's I have, a I have been on, on. I have been on Zoom calls with people who were on a desk, and I think it's just as because they walk very small, slow. It's not like they're running. Yeah. They're like yeah, really true. walking very slow. And I guess on the yoga ball, I'm also like a little bit bouncy. So it's probably the same impact. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So coming full circle, we've talked about a lot of different things today. If a manager is thinking, oh man, we've got a lot of work to do with our suddenly forced into it remote or hybrid team. What do you think are the two or three biggest things that are the first baby steps towards some of the bigger stuff we talked about today that managers could do? What could they go and either do themselves or talk to their team about in the next couple of days? So the first thing I think is make sure that you have those one-in-ones in your agenda mm -hmm. and that you don't skip them just because you are stressed. Because yeah. from a manager point of view, like I get it, you have 16 people that report to you. So you spend the entire day in meetings and you're just like so tired of it. But for mm -hmm. your individual contributors, that's often the only meeting that they have per week apart from the team meeting. Mm -hmm. So depending on their role, they actually, this is the one time where they can actually talk about what is going on in their life with somebody without feeling like they're stealing the time from someone else. So mm -hmm. don't skip those meetings. Like it's important and it's even more important for the other person than it is for you. And then do a meeting audit, like which of those meetings in your agenda should not be there can be shorter like just because google thinks a meeting should be an hour or 30 minutes doesn't mean it have to be an hour or 30 minutes you can perfectly well have 50 minute meetings right. there is no there there's no law against short meetings and start declining meetings mm -hmm. And not just decline and then leave it yeah. at that, but actually decline and then send an email afterwards and explain why you declined, especially when you decline people who are hierarchical, like on a lower level than you are, so that it doesn't sound like, oh, I don't want to talk to you, but more, hey, like, I want to give us both space to get our work done. So can you give me more info and I can give you my opinion or, it, mm -hmm. and then, oh, and block out your lunch break as a meeting. So nobody <laughs> can put their meeting into your lunch break. <laughs> yes. No, those are great. I think we've given people a lot of food for thought today. So uh, thank you for joining me today, Valentina. And we'll make sure to load up the show notes today and the, the further reading so that you can check out some of these books and things we talked about today, because I think hmm. there's a lot of food for thought here and certainly gives people some great things to start to work on to improve their remote or hybrid situation. So thank you again, Valentina. It was really fun. Do experiments. Thanks. Like people should make more experiments. It's, it's good if they don't work out. You just learned something. Absolutely. New. This has been the Creating High Performing Teams podcast, and we'll we'll talk to you next time.